Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. I want to welcome everybody that's watching this live stream tonight. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Amy Jimenez. It's my privilege to lead the Women of TBC. And I am just so glad that you have joined us for this spring study of the Gospel of Mark. I want to say thank you for your willingness to wear a mask. I know it's tough. It's hard. This is something our elders have asked us to do anytime we're here in the building. So in our discussion groups um, in this room, thank you for wearing your mask. Thank you for refraining from hugging one another. I know that's super hard for some of you. Uh, for others, it's a real joy. <laughs> so um, I would like to encourage you to get creative on ways of showing affection and uh, greeting one another. Uh, that's something that I, I really want us to do, and I, I like the challenge of being creative. Um, usually, we, we meet um, all together when we're non-COVID restricted. We meet all together in this room around tables. And um, so part of our COVID rules are to, to spread out all over the the building, and sometimes we miss the connection that we get in a room this size of just seeing people across the table. And so, I want to give you the challenge this semester to try to get to know somebody who's not in your discussion group. Maybe linger just a few extra minutes um, with your mask on, distanced, but get to know somebody new. I want to encourage you to do that tonight. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about our schedule. For those of you who are new, we will, we will meet just like we did tonight. Each week, you will go straight to your um, discussion group right when you get here. You'll, you'll discuss for an hour. We'll take about a 15-minute potty break, and then we'll be in here each night at 7.15 to start our lecture time. Um, you see these rolling announcements that are going. I've left them going for those of you coming in. Those will always be rolling when you come in, and I really want to encourage you to read those. I, don't have, I won't have time to go over um, all of the announcements. Um, you see some mission highlights um, that we are trying to pulse in this year. Um, so just some good information when you come in and you're waiting for us to get started. I'm going to go ahead and flip off of that because it's distracting to me. Uh, we, um, we will have different service projects throughout the semester that I'll be telling you about and encouraging you to do together as groups. And we have our first one tonight. Um, as a church, we are doing some really neat um, initiatives to show our gratitude and appreciation to all the healthcare workers at Scott & White um, over this next uh, two weeks. And so one of our tasks is um, some banners that you see on the sides of the room that we have made to put up um, in the hospital. So before you leave tonight, uh, if you could stop by one of those two banners and just write a note of appreciation. We've got hand sanitizer there. So hand sanitize before you use the marker, after you use the marker. So we're all doing our best. So thanks for participating. Um, Everybody should have gotten some memory verse cards. Did we get those tonight? This is something new for this semester. Our book encourages us to memorize scripture. So every even lesson number, two, four, six, eight, and so on, you have a new memory verse introduced to you. And um, so we just made these cards so that you could have an extra way to have that verse. Um, maybe you want to tear them all apart and punch a hole and make, put a ring around it and have it in your car. That's something that I'm trying to do um, to memorize. Yes. Oh, 
they are on that uh, table when you walk in. I meant to give them to you as a leader. So group five, get those on your way out, okay? Um, There's one extra one that I put on on your cards just to round out 10, uh, because there was 10 on a sheet. Um, But this is the kind of the key verse that I want to highlight tonight in Mark. And so each week we're going to stand and use this as a call to worship. So if you would stand with me, we are going to to read this verse together and then pray and then I'll, I'll get into the lesson for tonight. So let's read together. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Let's pray. God, we, we just thank you for your word. We're thankful that, that Jesus came proclaiming your kingdom is at hand. Your kingdom is here. We want to understand that, God. We want to be part of your kingdom. We are kingdom citizens, and we, we just pray, God, that you would help us to repent and to believe this good news, and we are looking forward to how you will reveal it to us. Thank you for um, placing us in unique groups. I hope, God, that, that you will uh, just bind our hearts together, uh, that we would be unified, that we would be friends and sisters in Christ over the course of this semester. So we look forward to what you will teach us. Now, God, would you um, move me aside and would you speak to us tonight? And as we talk about the overview of this book, would you convict us? Would you um, just show us something new? Open our eyes to see something that we haven't seen before. We look forward to what you will teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. All right. This is my house. My husband and I picked this house out 13 years ago using that old adage, location, location, location. First of all, my husband is from Colorado, and he was not all that thrilled about moving to Texas. And so his first requirement was that we live by something beautiful. And within driving distance to Fort Hood, he was on his last duty station at Fort Hood. And so we decided that Belton Lake was the prettiest thing uh, around here. And so our first location needed to be somewhere close to Belton Lake. Well, secondly, Uh, We were hoping to stay long-term, and so my second requirement was that we find a neighborhood close to Belton Lake that had low taxes. So we were looking for something that was not annexed by the city of Belton or Temple, and there's there's a lot of neighborhoods around Belton Lake like that. And we found the perfect one. We found Northcliffe subdivision in Belton. So that was location number two. And then number three, our kids were pretty young, at the time, and we really wanted them to have a safe place to play, so we were hoping for a cul-de-sac. So we were looking for a neighborhood with cheap taxes close to Belton Lake that had a cul-de-sac. Bingo, we landed at 148 Montera Circle. So location, location, location made a huge difference to the house that we landed on. And my husband and I just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary over the Christmas break. And so we have now spent more than half of our marriage in this house. So a lot was at stake when we made that decision so many years ago. Well, when you study a book of the Bible, any book, a similar mantra 
helps you land in the right place. A roadmap, if you will, that helps you determine the meaning and the application of the book that you're studying. And it goes location, location, location. So we're going to talk about those three locations tonight as we get an overview of the Gospel of Mark. So location number one, where does the Gospel of Mark sit in the big story of God? I say this every semester, but the Bible is one continuous story about God from Genesis to Revelation with all roads, all signs pointing to Jesus. If you were here with us this fall, you studied uh, the book of Samuel as one continuous, continuous book. First and second Samuel we studied over the fall. And we were introduced to this new period in Israel's history when the word of the Lord returned through the prophet Samuel. And remember, he anointed a king to reign over Israel. First Saul, who was the people's king, and then David, who was God's king. And both these men were deeply flawed, but they pointed us to Israel's deep need for a better king, a sinless one, one who would come through David's lineage and through whom God would finally save his people once and for all and make them into a house where he would actually dwell. And so we open the, the gospel of Mark and you're gonna be studying it this week in your homework and it just announces it right from the beginning. Mark says, Jesus is that king. It says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that word means in Greek, the anointed one, the Messiah, the king has come and he is the son of God. So we, we recited that verse together in Mark 1, 14 and 15, where Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming this gospel, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what is this gospel of the kingdom? I found a great video produced by the Bible Project that really tells this story well. So this is called The Good News of the Kingdom. Let's watch this together. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger. And he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. 
Now, in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom that needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside down kingdom. Now Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right, but for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. So I love how that video describes the upside down kingdom that Jesus ushered in. He himself did not look like nor behave like the king that Israel was expecting. But like David, he was God's king. He was ordinary and unexpected. And he turned the rules of the law completely upside down. He fulfilled the law. So as you study this book this semester, I really want you to think about four categories of this king 
and the kingdom that he ushered in as we try to pull that thread from Samuel to Mark. And so these are the four categories. When you think about the king, I want you to think, what is God's king like? And how is Jesus similar to and different than David, God's king? How do you follow him? How do you follow the king? And how is that comparative to how Israel followed their king? And then for the kingdom, what are the rules of the king? What's the reign of the king? And then how do we fight our enemies following him? And so you have a chart in your resource and discussion guide. I hope everybody at least talked about it a little bit in your, in your discussion group. But in your, um, hopefully your, your leader sent you an email with a link to a resource and discussion guide for the book of Mark. And in it, there's a chart, it looks like this. It's purple, it's got some purple um, boxes. That's how you'll find it. I would love for you to um, print this out and bring it each week. Um, at the end of your discussion time, you're going to try to use it to, um, to compare and contrast. And don't worry if you weren't here for First and Second Samuel, you're going to be just fine. Hopefully your group is going to help you see some really neat parallels as we study this together. All right, that's location number one. Where does, God, where does Mark fit in the big story of God? Location number two is where does the gospel of Mark fit in history? What is its historical context? And so we always ask a series of five questions to help us understand this. Who are the people? What are the places? What are the events that actually shaped the writing of this book? And so our first question is, who wrote it? And it's been a while, but finally we have a clue of who wrote this book in the name of the book itself. Mark wrote this book, but in scripture he's often um, given another name. He's, He's known as John Mark. And he's not one of the original apostles, nor is he one of the original followers of Jesus. He's actually a second generation follower. We know a little bit about his mother, and I think she might have been one of those eyewitness followers. He is a contemporary of Barnabas and Silas. He helps, they all help Peter and Paul as missionaries and church planters. And we're introduced to them in the book of Acts. Well, according to tradition, as early as the first century, most scholars agree that Mark is recording the accounts of Peter. There's a really famous uh, church historian in the second century named Irenaeus, and he called Mark a disciple of and an interpreter for Peter. So we are introduced to John Mark in Acts chapter 12. So if you have Your Bibles want you to open up to Acts chapter 12, where we see this really unique relationship with Peter. And I hope we can see something new tonight. We know that Mark's mom, Mary, she owned a home in Jerusalem, and it became kind of a nucleus of one of the early Christian communities, a house church. And we know that Peter was an apostle who had a lot of authority in that early church. Remember in Acts chapter 2, he preached the very first gospel sermon, and many people were cut to the heart, and they repented and believed and were baptized, and over 3,000 people were added to the church that day. And so Peter became a target. He was leading a movement, and the Romans started hunting him down. So he spent quite a bit of time in prison, and that's where we're going to find him in Acts chapter 12. So let's start in verse 6 together. 
Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the arm and woke him, saying, Get up, quickly. And the chains fell right off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real because he thought he was seeing a vision. But when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city and it just opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. So verse 11 up here on the screen, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, our Mark, where many people were gathered together and praying. Now, Mark was probably a young man at this time, maybe, an, maybe a teenager. Um, and I am convinced that he's really moved by what's about to happen. Look at verse 13. When Peter knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but instead ran and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, nah, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him, and they were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. So I want to ima- you to imagine yourself as Mark sitting in that room when Peter comes miraculously through the door and tells the story how he was just literally led out of prison by an angel. Don't you think that would be amazing? I think Mark looked at Peter and said, I am with that guy. That guy has it going on. He, he just experienced something amazing. And I think Mark and Peter had a really unique relationship that formed here. And Peter becomes um, very close uh, to Peter throughout his, um, his missionary journeys. So Mark, he had this unique perspective, and he had this personal lens on Peter's experiences, particularly about the spiritual realm. Mark talks a lot about demons and about God's power over the demons, and I think he and Peter must have talked about this quite a lot. You also have in 1 Peter 5, 13, written just before Peter died, you have where he referred to Mark affectionately as his son. Well, now we want to, we've thought about who wrote this book, John Mark, saying the words of Peter. We want to ask, to whom was it written and to when? And when was it written? I know this seems boring, but this is actually really, really important to Mark Because this book was written to Gentile Christians in Rome around the year 60 AD. 
And most scholars would agree that Mark is the earliest gospel written. But even so, it's about 25 to 30 years after Jesus has died and been buried and, and rose again. So many churches, it's kind of interesting to think about it. They, were already, they had already formed. They were already functioning without any of the gospels having been written down. And we already had epistles like 1st and 2nd Thessalonians and James and Galatians already written, maybe some more before this gospel was written. So how, how did people know about Jesus and about what he had been doing? Well, there was a lot of eyewitnesses who saw the risen Christ and they were telling people about him. They were, point, they were spreading news about what he taught by word of mouth. But in Rome, right around this time, Nero's in charge, and he is ramping up persecution against the Christians. And many Christians are going to die in Rome in this decade. In fact, Peter himself will be martyred in the year AD 67. And so these eyewitnesses are starting to die. They're getting older anyway, but they decide we need to get something written down that's very authoritative, that's by a very respected eyewitness we need people to know who Jesus was and what he said and what he did and how he died and how he rose again. And so there's no one with greater authority during this time than the Apostle Peter. And Mark's task was to encourage the Roman Christians and us that Jesus was in fact following even to death. Think about Peter at the end of his life, looking back 25 years it's a long time. I just thought about my marriage. It's a long time, and he's looking back over that time, back to when he was a young, impetuous, early follower of Jesus, and he's thinking, what are the most important things that Jesus said and did, and what, what do we just absolutely have to know about him and why he's so worth following? Well, what style is this book written in? Well, it's a witness document. It's the record of eyewitness accounts of Jesus' words and his deeds proclaimed in a written form. This was a new literary style for the time, a gospel, a proclamation of good news. It wasn't a biography. It was more of a historical narrative oriented around one major event, Jesus' death his burial and his resurrection. Just that week leading up to Jesus' death is going to take almost half of the book. And this book is written in a style that's very, very quick. It almost reads like a slideshow being clicked, little you know, segments of, of Jesus' life. Click, 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 and you get the word immediately, immediately, immediately. In fact, that word is used over 41 times in the book of Mark. It's our shortest gospel, but it's our fastest, quickest gospel. But it's rich with depth and meaning. And finally, what, is, what are the major themes of a book we study? Usually I have kind of a long list um, here. But today, Mark is really about one major theme. And he says it right off the bat, chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah He's the son of God. But Mark is going to introduce him as a servant king, as one who will give his life as a ransom for many. And he announces this kingdom 
and he wants people to repent and to believe and be a part of this kingdom. But then right in the middle of the book, chapter eight, you get kind of a climax, an apex of the book when Jesus asks Peter, who do you say that I am? This is a question that I want you to be thinking about throughout the whole book. The disciples, the crowds, the religious leaders, even the demons are answering this question. But here in chapter eight, Peter, he's a Jew and he confesses, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And then at the very end of the book, in chapter 15, you have a Roman centurion, a Gentile, who witnesses the crazy events around Jesus' death. And he exclaims, this man really was God's son. So the whole book, beginning, middle, and end, is claiming that Jesus is the Messiah. He is God's anointed one. And the question I want you to ask yourself is the same one that Jesus asked to Peter. Who do you say that Jesus is? I want you to wrestle with that because I really believe that your life depends on your answer to that question. Well, our final location of the evening is where do the actual words sit in the book? How do they relate to one another? How are we gonna read this thing together? And as we do every semester at, at TBC, we engage in an inductive Bible study of God's word. And that means we start with the book itself, with the details. And from them, we extrapolate what they meant to the original audience, what they mean for us, and how we're gonna apply that together. So we always start with observation. I know this is obvious, but I actually want you to read the book of Mark. And if you do nothing else this semester, read it over and over and over. It takes about 45 minutes to an hour to sit down and read the whole thing, chapter 1 to 16. If you have it read to you um, audibly, it takes about an hour and a half. I know you have time to listen or to read this book. And I always want you to start there. Just what does it say? What, what is the author saying? Making sense of the details before we try to determine meaning. Next, we move on to interpretation. We know that the Bible is the inspired word of God, that the Holy Spirit breathed it out, but he did it through actual people, through real men who lived in real times in history. And so the meaning of the text was determined by that author, and it's discovered by us as the reader. So we're in this process of discovery together, and your homework book is going to help you do that. So if you will just um, follow the questions. You have about 15 questions each week. The book is going to take you through the process of interpretation. It's going to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. So it's going to take you to different texts to help you understand a concept or a person, who they are. Um, it's, going to, it's going to do this work, a lot of this work for you. Your job is to just do the homework if you can. I understand you might not be able to, um, you can divide it up if you want to, you know, a few questions a day, or you can sit down right before Bible study and furiously try to, try to write all your answers. That's fine. Just do your best. Just try. Try to answer the questions. Um, and then you're going to come together with your group, and you're going to talk about what God has taught you as you studied the Word, 
not what he's taught me or any of the other teachers that stand up here and, and teach. You're going to discuss what he's taught you. And together, you're going to have a deeper, richer understanding. Hopefully, you're in a group with people who are at different ages and stages of life than you. They'll be thinking about it differently. And together, we'll come up with a complete, hopefully, understanding of the word. And then finally, application means we put the words and the meaning of the words into action into our life. We believe the Holy Spirit is teaching and convicting and training us in righteousness through these inspired words. And so you're always going to be challenged to change something. It's going to be change the way you think, change your behavior, change what you say. And it's hard to do to match those things up to the will of God, to be convicted and to change. And so we're going to help each other do that. You'll see at the end of all of your homework questions each week, a a little section called apply what you've learned. Don't skip that. I've asked all my leaders, please talk about that every week because we want to apply it to any, any and every situation that's going on in your life. The word always applies. People are always coming up to me and saying, can we do a study on marriage? Can we do a study on parenting? Can we do a study on friendship? And I say, yes, we are doing that. Every single time we open up God's word, it has something to say about whatever it is that you want to know more about or about whatever it is you are struggling with. Are you struggling in your marriage right now? God has something to say to you through the gospel of Mark about that. Are your kids driving you up a wall? Mark has something to say about that. Are you desiring deeper, closer, richer friendships? Mark has something to say about that. So the trick is to just bring whatever it is you're struggling with to the text and expect the Holy Spirit to teach you something about exactly what you are struggling with. That takes a lot of vulnerability just on your part, just to open the Bible and do it that way. But then it takes another step of vulnerability to come in here and sit in a circle with a bunch of women and bring that struggle to the group and say, I'm convicted. I'm struggling in this area. I need your help to hold me accountable. The Spirit's convincing me to change. And so we do that together. We apply God's word together. So here we are back to my house. And thinking back over 25 years of marriage, 13 in this house, I get kind of emotional thinking about it and looking back at it because my kids did a lot of growing up here. We have wonderful memories in this house. And now my kids have mostly left this home. My oldest got married last summer and she's started a new life in a new home in Philadelphia my younger two boys are in college, and they, they come in and out right now of this house, but it won't be their house for much longer. They'll soon have a home of their own. And in some ways, this is sad for me, but mostly it reminds me, I hope it reminds you of how futile it is to make even houses or our children or our family our ultimate priority in life. 
Mark is going to challenge us that your ultimate priority is to follow Jesus. And it's going to cost you everything to do that. Mark says in uh, chapter 10, verses 29 to 30, Peter began to say to Jesus, See, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So I just want to remind you, friends, that Jesus is preparing for us an eternal home way better than any house we've ever lived in. And he's given us an abundant life now to share together. And so I hope we can journey together this semester and enjoy the road that leads home. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this book that you have inspired, that is available so readily to us to read. God, we want to know you. Thank you for revealing yourself in this book. And we look forward to how you will do that, how each of us will have a unique experience uh, through our study of the Gospel of Mark. Thank you in advance for what you will teach us. Will you give us perseverance and encouragement um, to actually do the work? and to show up each week and to hold each other accountable. We're so thankful uh, for the ways that you have set us in a family and that you um, are challenging us and changing us. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, you are dismissed. I'll see you next week. Lesson two is your homework for this week.